good and would you be loved um, through us as we gather together and as we hear your word. Amen. Amen. Great. So it's been, been wonderful being here for the last few weeks and actually being able to um, hear Blake talk on um, well, Matthew 5 and this amazing Sermon on the Mount. And he's been doing a fantastic job. And we're going to continue um, that, 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 that chunk, and actually a fairly small chunk here. We're going to be looking at Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Um, before we read it, just to grab your attention, I'm obviously English. I wonder if you were thinking who it would be the most famous English person ever. Like the most maybe influential, the most famous. I was, there was actually a study done in 2002, and I was surprised by the, where, where like a lot of the general public in the UK were asked to vote on their most, the, the person they thought was the greatest like, English person or the most famous, most influential. And interestingly, they said Winston Churchill, who was obviously a great individual, um, yeah, an amazing man. But I would say maybe the most influential was probably William Shakespeare. I think he was, he was, he has such impact on the, the language we're speaking now. He is, he was so, um, culture defining. And I, I want to start by, by speaking a few, few words that he said, maybe some of his most famous words, um, in one of his comedies that actually, I, I'm probably more of a, with Shakespeare's, where Shakespeare's concerned, I call it the tragedy, the, the Romeo and Juliet, the Othello, everything going wrong. But in his play, As You Like It, he said the very famous words, all the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. And Shakespeare was amazing. He obviously gave his life for, well, yes, for language. Apparently, he, he, you know, he developed about at least 2,000 words that just through his writing he introduced to the English language. Many people think it was a lot more than that. But if you think of Shakespeare's life, it was dedicated to acting. He was both an actor and a, and a playwright. He was dedicated to, to, to drama. That's what he lived. Um, and it's interesting that Shakespeare saw around him, I guess in this quote, you know, that all the world's a stage and men and women merely players. He saw that so often in culture, back then, a long time ago and now, there's a lot of acting going on. There's a lot of show going on. There's a lot of, um, we can maybe act our, our role at work. We'd be like, ah, oh, I've, I've got this role at work, this is my job, but actually I don't feel like I can quite do it. So we sometimes can play a bit of our role in, in whatever our job is. Or in relationships, we can slightly have these sort of, this, this facade of who we are. Um, or in lots of different things, we can act. And I think Shakespeare um, says, says in those words a real truth that most of culture lives by. That actually in, in lots of ways we're performing. We can be acting. There's that popular phrase now, you know, the phrase, fake it till you make it. Um, an interesting idea. But, but in, this, in this just short passage that we're going to be reading from the words of Jesus, Jesus introduces us to a totally different way of living. Um, and, and Jesus introduces us to this idea that the Father, the Heavenly Father, actually rejects those that perform, rejects those that are living um, for, for a performance or living so that others would see them. And actually, the Father longs for us um, to live out of intimacy and out of relationship and with his being our motivator. Um, and that's kind of a lot of what we're going to be looking at um, through this passage. Um, so hopefully, we'll be able to like, honor Shakespeare's words that that's, a, that's true in culture, but that we wouldn't actually be a player on the world stage, that we would be authentic and walk with integrity. 
So let's read Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So this is kind of, we've, we've arrived here at a new, uh, kind of a new section of Jesus' amazing Sermon on the Mount. Um, he's, been, he's been speaking about these six um, key sort of characteristics or things that are that from the law that, that particularly the Jewish people at the time were really struggling with, and he sort of engaged with them. And now he's, he's sort of slightly changing tack a little bit, and he's going to start to talk about like three of the core um, pillars or values of like righteous living for a Jewish person in first century. Um, so the, the three kind of core pillars were, were giving, and specifically giving to the poor, was um, fasting and was praying. And so Jesus is about to start um, yeah, introducing that and speaking on that. And, and here he obviously he begins with an amazing first verse, and then he's going to focus on the, the topic of giving to the poor. That's interesting. For, for people in the first century, for Jewish people in the first century, like alms giving or giving to the poor, giving to the needy was, was incredibly, was an incredibly like valued and like hallowed thing to do. Um, to, to give was, was seen as one of the things that were like fundamentally like how well you were doing in your faith was often very connected to your giving to the poor. There was even this idea in the first century that, that by giving a lot to the poor, you could actually sort of remove, you could remove your guilt or you could gain some favor from God. Um, it was seen as really, really valuable in, in, the, in the first century and by the Jewish people. We can see that because actually the word in Hebrew, like, that, that is often tra- translated righteousness or justice, Actually, they often equate to, to the actual reality of giving to the poor. So this idea of righteousness in, in, in like a Jewish mindset was very connected to, to your giving to the poor. So it was incredibly important, probably more so than I think our culture would maybe put on place on the idea of giving to the, to the poor and needy. But if we just, before we look at Jesus' words, if we think in the Old Testament, um, yeah, God has a lot to say about this value of giving to the poor and needy. I think by first century, the Jewish... People have confused bits of it, but it was clearly a priority for God. Um, in the Levitical law, Leviticus 23, verse 22, um, God, when he's giving these commandments to the people of Israel, he says, hey, when you're, when you're harvesting, don't harvest the, to the edge of your, your property. Leave some for, for the poor and the foreigners to be able to have it. Um, and then he also says, and when you're actually like taking in and gleaning your, your harvest, don't glean all, if, if some stuff drop off, leave it there so that you would in that way be able to provide for the poor and the needy. So it was a clear value that, that God had always ordained. Hey, giving to the poor is on the heart of God um, and he calls his people to do so. And, and one more interesting thing is if you, if you read a big chunk of any of the prophets, pretty much any of the big prophets, you're very likely to come across at some point them criticizing Israel for, for not giving to the poor. You've, you've forsaken that. You've forgotten that. If you read like a bit of Jeremiah or a bit of Isaiah, 
you'll, you'll probably come across it because it's a regular critique that, um, that God wanted to bring to the people of Israel who weren't valuing it in the way that he wanted them to. Okay, so that's for introduction. And, and now looking, beginning to look at these, these verses, there's probably just four key points that when I was reading through this and praying about it, I felt like were, were, were especially relevant for us today. Um, and so this is the first point. The first point would be, be both defined and motivated by your Heavenly Father. Be both defined by and motivated by your Heavenly Father. Verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus begins this, this start of Matthew 6 with this amazing, almost like a introduction to his, his, his discussion. It's like his topic sentence for his paragraph almost with these, with these amazing words about, you know, don't practice your righteousness in front of people because actually then your father will not give you a reward. But what's really interesting is this part of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a big change that, that Jesus starts to introduce more in his, his, his terminology as he keeps referencing the, the, the phrase, your father, your father. So he, he, he's referenced it Reference it a little bit in chapter 5, but if you read from, if you just glance down from, from chapter 6 onwards, you're going to see he's referencing your father, your father, our father, a huge amount. And I just think that's really profound and something that's quite simple, but we can often miss out on. He is telling to, before he really overly go as he's going into these key topics about how we live righteously, how we practice like following God, he's, he's kind of earthing it in the idea of, remember, it's your father. Remember your father. Be motivated by your father. So, so Jesus is clearly emphasizing the importance of, of seeing God as father. God as father. And I love that it's not just as the father, but he, Jesus keeps saying, your heavenly father. So there's the ownership of like, it's, he's your father. For like the context of Jesus' day, that's actually pretty significant because although we, there's continuity always in what Jesus speaks about, God is referenced as a father in the Old Testament. But it's not a huge amount. Um, it's no way near given the same level of emphasis that Jesus does. But in Isaiah 63, um, it, verse 16, it, it reads, You are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer, from old is your name. So there's absolutely this idea of God as father in the Old Testament. But, but, it, but, but for the majority of Jewish people at the time, this idea of God being father was seen a little bit too lofty, a little bit out of reach. And so if you actually read um, in John 5, it says one of the reasons that actually they wanted to kill Jesus was because he was calling God his father and so was making himself equal to God. So it's interesting that Jesus in this sermon goes after this phrase, your father. Because actually, it's one of the things that was most uncomfortable for you know, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. I think probably, probably hard to know definitely, why, were they, why had they rebelled against overly referencing God as Father? It's probably because they're aware of Israel's history and, and the rebellion that they've, they, they'd lived under for much of their history. And so probably to call God Father might have felt a little bit out of reach for them, even though it's, it's there in the Old Testament. But Jesus, again, as he begins this, this section of the Sermon on the Mount, is really going to go after this idea of your father. Um, and and he, wants, 
He wants clearly it to be a defining factor for, for those who follow him, that it would be a defining factor. Because in this, this opening sentence, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is beginning this section phrasing it around the idea of you receiving reward from your Father and you being basing your life on your Father. So, so the call from Jesus there is that we would actually be defined by the fact that he is my Father, he is our Father, and we would then be motivated by what pleases him and how he wants to, even in this, in this situation, reward us. Um, that's really simple, but how often can we engage with this idea of God Almighty? God, God Almighty, who absolutely God is, he's big, he's holy, he's outside of our reach. But actually, Jesus here, in the day-to-day of living and doing these three pillars of sort of Jewish life, he's saying, actually, but, but ground yourself in knowing that it's your father. Um, I find that really powerful and impactful because actually it tells us that yeah, God is calling us again into intimacy and God is calling us to be defined by him, uh, by, your, by him being our father. So I wonder if you think yourself, like, how often do you really, like, resonate or come close to this idea of God being your father, being your father who you can engage with and who Jesus begins by saying he won't reward you if you just, if you put on a show or if it's for others, but actually whenever, when something's done for him, you can know your father sees you and he loves you and he's going to even reward you. It's, it's amazing, like, it's revolutionary that this is how we can engage with God. Um, it's amazing. Let me tell you a story. There was once a boy um, who was a five-year-old boy, and he was, he was playing in a sandpit just out the front of his house. And he was having a good time in a sandpit. He had some toy cars. He was, um, you know, like moving them around in the sand. And he thought, hey, I'm going to start building some little roads in the sand, some little roads, some little tunnels. So he starts to, like, prepare this sandpit to, to get some highways going and different things. And as he's, and as he's like, doing that, he comes across this massive rock just underneath the sand in his sandpit. And, he, and he's a bit annoyed by it as a five-year-old. All good five-year-olds get annoyed quite easily. And, and, and so he's like, I've got to remove this, this rock because it's going to prevent me from digging my tunnel. So he, he starts trying to dig around it. It doesn't really help him. He starts, he starts trying to push it with his hands and try and like, move it out of the sandpit. But he's not strong enough to do it. He like, puts his you know, arm to it, kicks it. He can't move this, this rock from the sand. And so about 20 minutes goes by, and he, at this point, again, like all good five-year-olds, is just so frustrated. He starts crying. He starts wailing. He's like, he's just totally fed up. He can't do it. And at that point of him trying to shift this rock, his, his father, who's been watching from the house, comes out to his, to his son, and he says, son, what's the problem? What, what's wrong? And his son says, dad, there's this rock under the sand. I can't move it. I've used all the strength I have. I've, I've used all that I have, and I can't move it. And then his father stops and he says to his son, no, son, you didn't. You didn't use all the strength you have. You didn't use me. And with one hand, he just easily picks up this rock and moves it out of the sandpit and, and, and it's gone. And I think that is a, a very simple story to illustrate something of, of, of us and, and, and Jesus' call to us that we would actually be defined by the Father. That knowing that we have a Father wouldn't, wouldn't be something that we, we draw to at the last minute, but actually day to day we would live knowing the Father sees us and that actually we can live with his identity, with his strength. And that wouldn't be an alien concept for us. That we would live with the identity of knowing our Father. Okay, so that would be the, the first point that, that I can see, see here. The second point would be this 
that we're called to reject religious performance and live from relationship. Reject religious performance and live from relationship. So this opening statement, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus here is talking about the idea of practicing righteousness, which, which definitely involves giving, but I think this first verse, that he, he's referencing the whole reality of what it is to, to walk like God, to try and like, do things, actions and habits that please God. And he's saying, if you live, if you live by, by doing it on show, you'll have no reward. And then he says, and don't do what, what the hypocrites do in the synagogues, announcing their giving with trumpets. And so here Jesus uses like two illustrations to do with this idea of putting on a performance. So that word um, to be seen by in the in first in the verse verse one to be seen by people um, in the Greek that kind of that is connected to the word where in English we now get the word theatre. So it's like this idea of don't don't be doing something for a theatre for a show. Don't be doing don't be doing practicing righteousness by that because you'll receive no reward. And then later in verse two when he says so when you give don't don't announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites do. And that word hypocrite. Um, at that time in the first century, was used by the Greeks to also sort of um, designate being an actor, to be someone who plays a part. And so Jesus is using two like word associations to say what you do for God, how you're motivated by God for giving and for other things, don't allow it to become a performance. It's not an act. If you do it as an act, you'll, you'll get no reward. Um, at the context of, of Jesus' day, it's believed that most people didn't give with trumpets. Um, that would be a fairly like ostentatious way to give. Like it's believed that, that normally that you, you wouldn't have trumpets coming in. Um, but I think what Jesus is saying here is actually like is he's he's trying to give the image of someone who's just full on out there for, for that people would be drawn to their righteousness, drawn to what I'm doing. Hey, look at me, I'm giving. Hey, look at me, I'm I'm doing something that God wants me to do. Um, and and Jesus is like going out of his way to to say that that mindset is so not God's heart. And actually, it leads to no reward, and it leads to us being a hypocrite. This actually, again, you see a continuity in Jesus here with the Old Testament, because in Isaiah 29, verse 13, um, it says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they've been taught. And so, Jesus is kind of using this idea of like the, the classic thing we all heard at like kids Sunday school about, hey, don't give with trumpets. And he's basically saying what underneath that, what that means, I think, for us is don't give and don't actually be motivated in your Christian faith in a way that others would see. Others would be drawn, would, would, their attention would be, would be devoted to you because actually your attention should be devoted to the Father. Um, and so you see the continuity here of Jesus. Probably none of you will know of a, of a person called... I mean, I can't speak Spanish, but a person called Juan Mata. He is a Spanish soccer player. We say football, but, but you guys say soccer. Um, although, in, I mean, I think you, play, you use your feet more if you play soccer, but that's, that's, a different, that's another debate. But anyway, but he earns nearly um, 200 
and he gets like $200,000 a week. So he's not even that good a soccer player, I'd say. He's good, but he's not that good. But he earns a huge amount of money a week. And a couple of years ago, he became really famous in the UK press because he did a number of um, interviews where, for no apparent reason, he wasn't really been asked about it. He just chose to say, um, oh, I give 1% of everything that I earn away. I give 1% of everything I earn away. And what's really interesting was, like, when he did this interview, like, everyone latched onto this. I was like, wow, what matter? He's this amazing guy. He's now known in, in UK terms, he plays for Manchester United, as, like, the nice guy of football. And it was all off the back of him sharing, you know, in a big publicized interview, he gives 1% away. And it's just interesting that uh, the, the, the culture of the UK sport culture would grab onto that and be like, that's amazing, 1%, what a hero. Um, and obviously, it's better to give 1% than nothing, but it's just interesting that like, he could be so lauded by that. Someone who like, went out of his way you know, in this interview to talk about his giving, and, and he's now sort of seen as a hero. But actually, like, there's got to be a bit of a disconnect there, because he's now being like, Lord is a, the nice guy, the generous guy. And you're like, but actually, if you look at what he earns, 1% is, is minuscule. Um, and, and I just think it's interesting that in our culture, it's so easy to accidentally or deliberately show off. And sometimes we show off about something we're not even doing that well. I wouldn't say 1% of 200,000 a week is like, wow, what a generous guy. It's, it's better than nothing, but I don't even think it gets into the generous bracket at all, really. Um, but yet, in our culture, it's so easy to have a trumpet. Um, I wonder what the way that we can like, draw attention to us and to our works is today. I don't think it would be trumpet. Maybe if Jesus was using the analogy for us today, it maybe would be like, you know, don't announce on Facebook or don't announce on Instagram every good thing that you do, or, or, or be aware of your motives when you do that. Um, maybe a, a modern-day trumpet in this, in this idea of, of, of displaying our righteousness might be social media. It might be those sorts of things. And what I love about Jesus' words when he says, don't do that, because actually if you do that, you're being a hypocrite and you won't receive a reward in heaven. I love that Jesus is actually sort of revealing the heart of that actually doesn't do anyone good. That doesn't, that doesn't do you good with God. God doesn't see that because he knows where your heart is. But also, it doesn't even like, it won't even, it won't, it won't be, it won't be any like benefit to you. Um, and I think that the challenge, this, this verse, these verses are really challenging for us in our culture because probably never before has like there have been more access to everyone's lives, to, to media, to, to, to a platform. There's probably never been as easy a way to platform everything today. Um, and whether we have a million followers on Facebook or like 10, we can still end up slipping into the mindset of, you know, am I, am I like slightly boasting about something? Am I, am I like um, signaling how good I am at something? It's so easy to do. Um, when Ali and I were in Thailand in the last year, I find it really an interesting kind of battle for, my, for myself because when you're sort of in, in missions and certainly if you go outside of Europe or the US, like you need to be, be sharing what you're doing. You need to share back. You need to like sharing testimony is really valuable. But sometimes like, you know, I have Facebook, I have Instagram. Sometimes I felt the battle of like, if I post something saying like what we did, you know, here in this, like in this little village in Thailand and we saw this, like what is my motive for putting that up. It's great that people might see that, and maybe someone on Instagram would be like, yeah, I want to give my life to do that too. But actually, sometimes if my motive is actually, I just kind of, I'm slightly showing off here, or I'm, I'm, I'm showing what I'm doing. It's a really interesting thing, and, and Jesus has a lot to say, and he says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be doing it. When you know that's your motive, like, just don't do it, because actually the reward is, the reward is none, and you're not pleasing your Father in heaven. So, 
I don't know what the challenge is for you and you might be to do with that, but yeah, think about in your life, are there things that, that you are good at or you're right, this is something that you know God's called you to do, and it could be giving it, you know, specifically here, but actually that you need to, God's saying reject that performance, reject that which wants to actually be a bit motivated by showing, and actually just live from a relationship. Because what I love is, in this passage, Jesus says a number of times, the Father sees, the Father sees and rewards, the Father sees what's in secret. And so the, the concept I think Jesus is saying is, your father sees everything about you. And actually, he most wants to know you in this secret place, in this place where you're not in front of everyone. Um, and actually, it's there that you can, that it's there that you will be defined by the father. And it's there that you will actually also be, be able to be rewarded because your heart motive will be from relationship with him. So that's the second point. Reject religious performance and live from relationship. Okay, then the third point is this. Giving is a when, not an if. Giving is a when, not an if. Verse 3, Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So twice in verses 2 and 3, Jesus repeats, But when you give. But when you give. So it's clear that, that giving to the poor is not, a, it's not, an, it's not an option for Jesus. It's a, it's a direct command. But when you give. It's also, a, it's also an assumed command that, that he's like, you will do this. You will want to do this. this but when you give. Um, and I find this, this, in some ways, this challenges me because I think when I became a Christian, I'm not sure I immediately had this heart of just, I want to just give, give to the poor. I see a need and I'm just, I don't think my, my reaction when I was earlier a Christian was to like just to give away. But Jesus says, but it's actually when you give. It's like, it's going to be what you do. It's going to be your, um, it's going to be in your heart to want to do that. Um, so we can't think of it as an if. And the other thing is, it's interesting, he says, but when you give to the needy, because I think we can so often find it easier to give, or I can, give to my friends, or give to my family, or give to this person I know incredibly well and, and like, you know, really respect. Or, and obviously that's a good thing to give. We're called to give in lots of different ways. But here it's specifically to do with the needy. And, and like in the Jewish culture, that would be the poor, the poor of the land, that, we, that many of them they probably wouldn't know. And it's those guys that Jesus says, the command is when you give to them. So um, it's probably easy to give to family at times, <laughs> not always. Um, but actually, Jesus is challenging even beyond that. Like when you give to those that maybe you don't even know at all, have no connection with, but are really, are really struggling, are really desperate. And that's the sort of giving that Jesus, Jesus says. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't say, Okay, if you have the gift of giving, then give. If you feel super compassionate in this season, or if you have really compassion mentality, then give. Or even like if you're doing, having a great year, like if, if you've got like a bumper crop in this year, then give to the needy. It's actually just when you give. So Jesus is tackling the idea of it's just, it's assumed generosity. It's that you do give, that you do give. And interestingly, later on in chapter 6, Jesus is going to talk specifically about money um, and money not ruling over you, but, but you placing God first. But even before he talks about kind of money per se, I think here he's, wants, he's wanting to set followers of him to have a, a culture of generosity that you just, just you know, establish yourself, I will seek to be a generous person. And then actually later on you'll understand how it imp- impacts money and everything else. But like generosity is this really important culture that... Um, that Jesus is saying it, it's, a, it's a when you give. Um, and when you do it, again, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So when you do it, like practice the culture, but again, don't allow it to become something that, that is like, that is 
that, that puffs you up as you give, but that actually you, you, just, you just give quickly, you give with God in mind, you give without your own um, sort of sense of, oh, I'm doing a great job. And I don't know about you, but the first few times I ever get, gave as a Christian, because I'd never done it, I was like, wow, I'm doing such a good job. Like, wow, I just gave 10 pounds to somebody. Wow, this is the first time in my life. It's so natural to just be like, to have that mindset. And, and I think, obviously, God does have a grace for us. But I think because it's a when, not an if, I think the, the implication Jesus is speaking to us is just begin the, begin the culture of, just, of, of moving in generosity. And you, as you do that more, you won't keep such a good track of how well you're doing. You'll just, you'll learn to do it. Um, and then you won't be so like, wow, I did a great job today um, at giving. It's something that this, this giving to the poor, and specifically the poor, is, is such a value throughout the Bible. So we see later in Galatians, um, when Paul is talking about his, his uh, he's kind of defending his ministry in Galatians 2, and he's, and he's saying like, how this, this time, one of the first times he went to see the apostles, and he's, you know, he's, he's like unsure as whether, whether they're going to accept him or, or his message or reject him. And he says a really interesting, really interesting thing in Galatians 2.10. You know, he says, um, they agreed that I was a, an apostle to be sent to the Gentiles, but they said that the one thing that we should, <laughs> I'm slightly paraphrasing this, but that we should continue to remember the poor. Like their one thing in this whole way of like Paul summarizing his ministry and what he was going to do to the Gentiles, the kind of one thing that the apostles like pick out for Paul is, hey, remember to give to the poor. And then Paul says, the very thing I was eager to do, which is really significant that in a big, like the big, like broad brush strokes of Paul's ministry, like, and even summarizing it, like the poor was part of it. The poor was like something that he was eager to do, to do and the apostles wanted him to do. And I think for us that can be a challenge because in the evangelical world, we are hopefully really committed to wanting to see people come into the kingdom. We want to preach the good news. And absolutely, that is the core priority Jesus gives us. But it's interesting that within probably the most missional person we, we see outside of maybe Jesus in the New Testament, Paul, who gave his life on all these missionary journeys, the poor is still a, 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 one of his core priorities. Um, so it wasn't just to, to only preach and never give to the poor or never look for need. Um, and so that challenges me because I think I'm maybe more geared towards wanting to, to see people become Christians than always f- also fostering this, this giving and giving to those who really need it. Probably in my, my life, the, the, the closest people that have most impacted me about giving was, was this couple that Ali and I um, were with in, in Thailand. Um, there, there's a couple who are now in their 80s called Jeffrey and, and Jeffrey and Pat Atkinson. They're an English couple. They were sent out from our church in the UK. And they spent probably the last 50 years of their lives um, either in Laos or in Thailand working amongst really, really like, I mean, they're just two poor countries anyway, but working amongst the kind of the poorest ethnic groups within those, within those um, nations and, and seeking to bring Jesus. Um, Jeffrey's a doctor, so he also has done a lot of like, medical stuff to help things. And I was just, we, we were like with them day, day after day for, for six months, and I was just impacted by their lives because they, were, they just modeled this culture of giving that is just exceptional, and it was crazy. And every time we had a conversation and asked them about their life, it was kind of accidentally 
they were just re- revealing how much they'd given away. It wasn't like, again, with, with an obvious trumpet. But as I asked them questions, I was like, so how long were you in Laos for? And they were like, well, we were there for 25 years. I was like, wow, 25 years, that's a good chunk of time when you're already like, you know, beginning to get older. And I was like, how long have you been here in Thailand? For 20 years, like all through what would be normal retirement. They're, they're serving this tiny place in northern Thailand um, in very, Ali will testify, very rural conditions um, with not a lot there. Um, and and I was just struck by how they, they gave. And then I asked them questions about, like, oh, you know, your family. They have three um, biological kids. And they, throughout the last 50 years, they adopted three um, children from refugee camps that they were involved with during their ministry. And I loved hearing them talk about how they came to adopt those children. It, it literally it was the when, not the if. It was, they, they, I mean, obviously, we can look back with slight roses rose-tinted spectacles, but they, they articulated this idea of deciding to foster this little baby in a refugee camp as like, we couldn't not. We, we just like, it was, we didn't think about it. We didn't like where, we just had to. Like, it was just like, an, it just felt like that was who they were. They just, it wasn't a discussion. And, and obviously there's levels to that we can go to extreme. But what was beautiful is the day we left Thailand in March, we were packing to leave and it's just this idea of the culture of generosity can, can actually infiltrate all of you. Because we were trying to leave and we were a bit like rushed to pack, but we kept getting a knock on the door as one or the other of them kept like giving us a little, oh, take this back with you. Take this little like tea towel that, with like Thailand on it. Take this, take this. And I was just struck by their whole life became a culture of generosity. And it was just in a tiny thing like we're about to leave, they want to give us things. Or in, or in like children, or in like where you dedicate 50 years of your life, it became a culture. Um, and it can become a culture like that for us. It can become a culture like that for us. Um, and it's the challenge that God gives us, that Jesus gives us when we give, not if we give. Sometimes we think, oh, how do I begin fostering generosity? I think a good way is in prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, no one can do me a truer kindness than to pray for me. No one can do me a truer kindness than to pray for me. Like, praying is a great way of, like, if you, want, if you feel like you just don't feel like your heart's able to give yet, just start praying for a, for a for some people, a, a people group or, a, or a, a need, and actually your part will probably um, be changed because you'll, you'll walk in that kindness. Okay, so giving is a when, not a myth. Final point, seek your father's reward, not human recognition. Seek your father's reward, not human recognition. So Jesus says, so, so do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When I was a kid, I, I kind of thought that Christian living was this idea of that we were just called to be good to be good. Like, we, were, like we're, we need to be good. That's like a Christian idea. We're, we're good. You know, we do good. But it's interesting here that, that Jesus introduces this idea of reward, which is actually something that like, you've got to navigate well, because salvation, we all know, isn't earned. You don't earn salvation. You can't do anything that would make you saved. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross you know, we receive his grace, we receive him, and we are saved. But actually, Jesus also does talk sometimes in, in, in regards to rewards. And he says, um, in this regard, you know, when you give and you do it in secret, like the Father will reward you. So Jesus does have this concept of, of reward, which actually translates in Greek as basically being like wages like, or recompense. So there's something of actually, okay, you've done this with the right motive. The Father wants to reward you. I think the Bible doesn't tell us everything about what reward looks like in the, in the New Testament. I think in the Old Testament, reward was often to do with like material blessings. So the kings that did well often did get a lot of you know, horses or th- all those different things. But actually, Jesus seems to be underpinning a different reward in the New Testament. Um, 
and we can see that in a few places. In Matthew 5:12, he says, if you suffer persecution without bitterness, then great will be your reward in heaven. So there Jesus is again speaking about rewards. But I think one of the most helpful things to understand maybe a little bit, begin to understand what Jesus means by reward here, is actually in Revelation and in the letters to Revelation. And if you think about the end of each of the the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, it says, to the one that overcomes, I will give you. And then, you know, I will give you a new name. I will give you a crown. I will give you, um, and it's a number of different things, all images, um, but it tells us, I think, that, that the reward that Jesus is talking about, that the Father wants to give us for how we live for him, and when we do things not out of performance but out of relationship, that they're actually like spiritual rewards. They're rewards of like closeness to him. They're rewards of like actually desiring him more um, and, and knowing him more. Those are the greatest rewards that we could receive. And I think those are the rewards that are for now and into eternity that Jesus is talking about when he says, when you give and you do it, from a heart of being in secret, being just with God, then you will receive rewards. And just, just finally, like Pat and Jeffrey, these, this amazing elderly couple who are just retired, they retired actually last week. <laughs> and they're now, they're now going to be spending some time in the US. So they're, they're in their like mid to late 80s. Um, what really struck me about them and, and how maybe a way of understanding what Jesus is talking about when he says reward and what reward should look like, that if you do it in secret and if you're not like trumpeting yourself, this is what you reward. We were so struck just during like mealtimes with this couple that they'd often say grace. And when they said grace, it was like, it was, it was beautiful. And it was like, it was great because they would just, just begin to say grace. And you would just set, you could hear in their voice. You could see on their face. You could sometimes even without hopefully dramatizing it, just feel in the room this like reverence of Jesus as they were just praying like, Father, thank you for this. Thank, and it was like, it was so powerful. It really, like, we, we, I mean, I talked about it a lot during that six months because it would just be a simple act of prayer and you could tell this intimacy of Jesus that they were walking in. And I think that's probably part of this reward, that, 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 they, that they've given their lives, they've given when, when not an if, and they've, they've not really tried to, like, trumpet it. And actually part of their reward in, for this couple is just to know a real closeness that is almost, you can almost hear in them, you can almost see in them, a closeness with Jesus. And there's no, like, there's no greater joy. There's no deeper reward than that. So let's just finish by, if, if you feel comfortable, just closing your eyes. And let's just ask God just, just to speak to us from this. What, what is it that he is trying to um, change our hearts in? Is, let's ask Jesus just to bring to mind, is there anything that actually we know that we, there's, an, there's an activity? It might be giving to the needy or it might just be other things that we often do for show that we struggle to have just a desire to just want to please our Father with. Jesus, we just pray that you might even now speak to us. What, any of those mindsets where we're laboring in something that we shouldn't be, where we see um, performance or we live in performance when you don't want us to. Father, I pray that you would bring it to our minds even right now, Lord, and that we would just say sorry, that we would just ask for your forgiveness that we would recognize that it's futile and it prevents you from, from rewarding us. And Father, I pray now that we might, as we, as we, as we try to, to create this culture in us, with your help, by the power of your spirit, to just be generous and to, to give from a place of secrecy with you, Lord, that, that we would know this closeness to the Father. Lord, that we might really know our Father that it would be taken from just a theology for us to a deep reality for us, a living for us. And as we do that, it would honor you 
because we would see need and we would, remo- we would release need. We would release what we have. So Father, draw us close to you. Draw us close to you and help us to be motivated, defined by, and rewarded by you in the end, Lord. And give us that, that, like, that gentle heart to be willing to do that, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.